Welcome to the Fantasy Sports Collective Podcast. This is your host, Jay Dub. I'm back. Episode 66. And it is Super Bowl week. I'm going to stick with just looking at why did Brock Purdy fall to Mr. Irrelevant? And why do scouts miss so often on top quarterbacks? And touch on a few other things. I'll revise my Super Bowl game prediction and touch on this scoring barrage happening in the NBA this season. All that on the flip side. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. Okay. It's Super Bowl week. We'll tackle the idiocracy of NFL draft as it pertains to quarterbacks. Look at the positivity of the new 65 game played rule for NBA award qualification. I love a lot of players are complaining. But let's kick it off the, the top, straight into Super Bowl prediction. Chiefs versus Niners. The Niners are now apparently a two and a half point favorite, which I find amazing, incredible. And the over-under remains at 47 and a half. But I, look, I see this as a toss-up contest. Maybe I'm overvaluing the experience of the Chiefs and the, just the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. That said, I'm predicting the 49ers will win. I'm going with my heart, but also my head. I think KC wins if the, the four, uh, 49ers defensive line doesn't get pressure and or they can't run the ball against KC. That's obvious. Those are should be the Niners' strengths. And those, ironically, are KC's weaknesses. But I'm going with the Niners because I think the Niners will control the time of possession enough to keep Mahomes' magic to a minimum. And the 49ers, I believe, will come up with more big plays than the Chiefs in a multi-possession victory. So I am predicting they're going to win. Not It's not going to be a close game. I think if it's a close game, I think the Chiefs win. But here's why. the lead, the, Look, the Chiefs' offense has been pedestrian for most of the season. This is arguably Mahomes' worst season as a starter. I think it is the worst season as a starter, hands down. The defense has been lights out, particularly of late. However, the 49ers bring a unique offense to the Super Bowl. They run out of different sets. They like to put defenses into mismatches, and they have deep set of weapons to pressure teams across the gamut. They have arguably the best uh, running back and fullback in the game. They have arguably the best wide receiver tandem. I'm not saying either Samuel or Ayuk are the best receiver, but collectively they're probably top 15, definitely top 20. And there's not very many teams that have uh, two guys like that. And they've got a top five tight end. Some people would say even greater than that. When Kittle's healthy, he's very dynamic. He can can block, definitely can get out there and make plays. So they can attack you from all angles. I think it's just too much, assuming, assuming the Niners take care of the ball all things being equal, I think the Niners are able to get a couple scores on this, and probably they're the ones who come up with a big play or two where the Chiefs aren't able to do that. I could easily be eating crow, though. I, I fear Mahomes. He beat us when we were the better team. In my humble opinion, we actually outplayed them, but Mahomes made plays, That's and that's the difference. It's a big game. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of people thinking about it, over overanalyzing. So next thing, quarterback scouting misses. Let me start by saying this is a broader critique of how scouting, I think in most sports, continues to overweight size, strength, athletic attributes versus heart, competitiveness, past performance. I could use Draymond Green in in the NBA, Nikola Jokic in the NBA. These are guys that have a ton of heart, ton of competitiveness, and were overlooked due to size, athletic ability kind of stuff. But if you look, let's just isolate the quarterback position. I think this is the one that's the most valuable position in all kind of major sports. They are determining the outcome on every offensive snap. And you look at just the last 20 years, take the top five quarterbacks. I'm just going to give you the names. I think they fall in this group. Tom Brady, unquestionable. Uh, Peyton Manning is probably unquestionable. Patrick Mahomes at this point is unquestionable in my opinion. Drew Brees, 
And then you possibly you include Aaron Rodgers, maybe Lamar Jackson, maybe Russell Wilson, Ben, ben Lossesberger. Um, if we isolate that group, though, only Manning was his draft's top quarterback selected. And for many, they weren't even in the top three, four, five. Brady was sixth round. That's well documented. Mahomes was the third quarterback in his draft. Drew Brees was in the second round. Russell Wilson was third round. Aaron Rodgers was, was late first round. And by the way, decorated college player. It was spectacular at Cal. Lamar Jackson was the last pick in the first round, even though he was a Heisman Trophy winner and just lit it up in college. And Ben Roethlisberger was mid-first round after a, a bunch of guys, many of which have gone on to play well, like Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. But still, he probably was the best in that class, and he fell, which is interesting. I think if you if you isolate why a guy falls and just look at what are the attributes there in retros in, in doing a retrospective and a redraft, it typically comes down to two factors: a perceived lack of size or athletic ability. In the case of Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Russell Wilson, there was an assumption that they lacked a, cr a crucial component to ever be quote unquote great, even though that in each of their cases they had played outstanding football at a power five school. In two of the three instances, they were excellent multi-year starters for teams they pushed to new heights. Brady being the, the exception there. So why do we think scouts get it so wrong so often? I, I think the primary reason is they undervalue leadership, performance, and not just statistics, but team performance. Like they put too much emphasis on physical ability. And I can use Oklahoma as an example, right? You had three guys in a row. First two guys won Heisman trophies, but a good numbers. I'm not saying they weren't, but they failed to elevate the school. And they both played at previous schools and didn't performed great, which is why they ended up in Oklahoma. The third guy in that group was Jalen Hurts, who led an Alabama team to, to a, a national title as the unquestioned starter. He was leading the next team to a national title and got hurt, and Tua took over, and they transferred to Oklahoma. And he was outstanding. He actually was outperformed both those guys at Oklahoma, but he fell in the draft of the second round. And those other two guys were first overall picks. Those are Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, if you don't re recall. So why is that? And, and, and ironically, Hertz was actually probably as good or he's a better athlete than Baker Mayfield, actually with bigger than both those guys, wasn't as good athlete as Kyler Murray, but was consistently better leader, had won more often. So if you use Brock Purdy as an example, seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant, he compares favorably when you look at the core considerations of all great NFL quarterbacks, which is he's not small. He's not huge in terms of height, but he's almost, he's basically almost 6'1". He's a little bit under 6'1". He's almost 220 pounds. I think when he went through the combine, he was officially 216, which is not, again, that's not bad. But most importantly, I think the thing that, that people stop, don't consider is he elevated the play of his college team. He was a four-year starter. He led Iowa State, tier two, power five school, not top school, to the first four-year consecutive winning season since the 1922-1927 seasons. So he literally came, elevated his team, Took him to a New Year's Day Bowl, upset Oregon in, I think it was a Fiesta Bowl they played in. So he demonstrated he was great across multiple seasons. If you look at him versus Kyler Murray, number one overall pick, Sam Bradford, number one overall pick, Jared Goff, number one overall pick, Mitchell Trubisky, number three overall pick, but first pick in his draft. And by the way, I could include Jameis Winston, number one overall pick, Jamarcus Russell, number one overall pick, Blake Bertles, who was the first quarterback in his draft, number three overall, Vince Young, number three overall, first quarterback in the pick. All those guys were the top picks in their respective draft at the quarterback position. So let me isolate the thing, size. Every top quarterback selected in the draft since 2000 is either a prototypical size, so 6'4", 220 plus pounds, and obviously arm strength, and or was an electric athlete. I think the two guys I'd clearly put underneath here were Michael Vick in, I think, 2000, same year as Breeze, by the way, and Kylo Murray.
The exception to this was Baker Mayfield, who was basically the same size as Brock Purdy and a below average athlete. But if you look at the biggest buffs in the top 15 of the NFL drafts at all positions, it's overvaluing size and athletic ability. That's just standard. And I get maybe that's a good proxy, like more often than not, you're going to hit if you go for size and athletic ability. But at quarterback, it's not about that. It's about competitiveness and heart. So let me go through this. I actually pulled up the winning, the records of these guys and what they did in those seasons and where they played at. So here are the misses. In my opinion, these are the misses. Some may disagree with at least one or two of the names like Radford and Goff. But for where they were drafted and what they ultimately have delivered in, in the pros, I would still I would say Bradford was definitely a miss. And I think Goff is, is still up in the air. Baker Mayfield, he was 38 and 8 in college across one season at Texas Tech, where he started most of the year at three seasons at Oklahoma. He won the Heisman in 17. His teams were great. NFL talent filled lots of talent. He led them to three straight New Year's Day bowl games. So very productive. And I think he's proven, you know what, if you really give to him, he's going to be a, a above average starting quarterback. So not a total miss, but being number one overall pick. And by the way, he's on a second team. It's not like he got drafted by the Browns and he's still there and he's their quarterback. No, he's on, he went to the Carolina. Then he did a couple of games at the end of the season with the Rams that year. And now he's definitely revived his career in Tampa Bay. So good for him. Kyler Murray was 14 and three. Guy played had 17 total starts, had one starting season, played started a couple of games at Texas AM, but then transferred to Oklahoma. Won the Heisman in eight in 2018, his only year of college football. It was only real starting season. And then it was the number of overall pick. And look, he's dynamic. I like him. I'm not saying he's a total miss, but for the first overall pick where you've had to pay him a ton of money and guarantee it, he really hasn't delivered in that sense. He is not winning. He's exciting, but he's not winning. And next is Sam Bradford. I don't think by any measure you could say this guy was a winner on the pro level. He wasn't a great winner in college either. He played at Oklahoma, one of the best programs in the country, ton of talent around him. I, I believe he played with Adrian Peterson, one of the greatest running backs of all time. He had he had talent all around him. And he was 23 and seven across two and a half seasons as starter at Oklahoma. That's terrible, in my opinion, right? If you look at the Oklahoma's record, he's got to be one of the worst on a winning percentage basis of any starter that started more than like 15 games at Oklahoma in the last 20 years. And he was the number one overall pick. Go back and look at it. His stats were okay, but he's huge. 6'4", 225 pounds. He had a rocket for him. I think he actually was 230 at the combine. A rocket for an arm. I get it. Jared Goff. He was 14 and 23 across four seasons as the starter of University of California. Now, you could argue he got there. I think they were 1 and 10 or 1 and 11 the year before he got there. And he turned him into a kind of winning program, but I wouldn't say a winning program. I don't even know if he went to a bowl game. Maybe his last year he got him to a bowl game. But another classic Bradford guy. He's big. It wasn't a heavy weight, but he was like, Six four and a half, six five, good arm. So he went one number one overall, and he's had decent success in the pros. I one thing I'll say for him, he was blessed with awesome offensive system with the Rams and great coaching. And then now at Detroit, they built that team up with a ton of talent, and he's performing. So again, not a total bust, but number one overall pick, you'd expect more. And then Mitchell Trubisky was eight and five across one season as a starter at UNC. He wasn't super tall. I think he's six two, two twenty five. Uh, showed some athletic ability enough, and he ended up going number number two overall in the draft, actually, not number three. The Bears traded up to select him with the 49ers and actually gave up a couple future third, I think, second and third round picks for that right to, to move up one spot. So what are the missed ones? Who are the guys that clearly should have gone much higher? Tom Brady, no-brainer. He was 20-5 and five across two seasons as starter at Michigan. 
I think he falls in a unique category where he came after an NFL quarterback who was very productive, who led them to a national championship and Brian Greasy. Brady, by the way, was on that national championship team, but he was a backup. And then there was Drew Henson was on those teams who was a dominant athlete, actually, I think number one overall pick in the baseball draft, ended up starting some games in the NFL at quarterback, very a talented player. And so I think he got overlooked through that and people didn't realize how productive and pretty, pretty good he was. I've already referenced Jalen Hurts. He was insane. He played 56 games, won a national title and went 55, 51 and five in those games. He started his career at Alabama for three years, was basically a three-year starter for all three seasons. Again, got hurt, got Tua took over and relented, and he never played again at Alabama. And then went with Oklahoma and had a great year. Actually should have won the Heisman. He was way more productive and won more games at Oklahoma than Kyler Murray, as an example. He was literally the year after Kyler Murray. But I guess maybe there's voter fatigue on the Oklahoma system. And even though he was way better, he didn't get it. So again, he fell the second round. Obviously, great pick by Philly. Really good value. And then Russell Wilson was 31-19 and across four seasons at NC State, three years at NC State, one year at Wisconsin. And Brock Purdy was 29 and 17 across four seasons as starter at Iowa State. But he led him to four straight winning seasons. Again, New Year's Day Bowl win versus Oregon, the Fiesta Bowl. So look, Purdy's one loss record is not remarkable. But if you look at the school he attended, there's a lot of, actually, you could put some similarities between, let's say, like a Brock Purdy and a Jared Goff. Purdy attended a school that had, would, has perennially been bad and actually was terrible before he got there. They immediately started winning when he started you can't say the thing about same about Jared Goff. I think he was like five and eight his first year or, or four and eight. Purdy was a winning record every single season. And then there's a correlation to the quantity of college starts and long-term success. So Purdy, Purdy had 46 college starts, which is impressive. Goff had 37, which is pretty good, by the way. Bradford had 30. Mitchell Trubisky had 13. Kyler Murray had 17. It's just not a lot of starts. I think Brady, you could argue, he only had 25, pretty low. Jalen Hurts had an insane number of starts. Russell Wilson had 50 starts. This is a lot of reps. There was a study in 2020 by Lewis Jones. It's in, if you want to go to fscollective.com and look for the podcast 66 episode, I've got a link to it. But he found that the greater number of starts resulted in at least some NFL productivity and value. Basically, you had a baseline floor if you had played a, a bunch of games in college and been productive. Uh, and so I, what it comes back to is the question remains, why do scouts not consider level of competition, quantity of play, and the results they engineered more than when drafting quarterbacks? And I think the answer is you just you tend to overestimate the sexy components of scouting, which is size, athletic ability with the quarterback position, it's arm strength. And you they definitely undervalue performance, particularly for quarterbacks who reset culture at tier two power five schools. Again, Tom Brady, as an instance, wasn't as successful as his predecessor, and though yeah, the size, there was perceived physical limitations. Jalen Hurts was too small, perceived lack of arm strength, even though he'd exceeded size and performance of his two Oklahoma predecessors, put that aside. And then Russell Wilson was too short and lacked arm strength. So Purdy's a crossover. He's more akin to Russell Wilson. He He's not as small. He's nearly 6'1", 220 pounds, but he played mostly in obscurity at Iowa State, and he clearly fell through the perceived scouting cracks. So it's a 49ers gain, of course. Sure, there are plenty of people who still think he's just a game manager and system quarterback, but he's a pretty rarefied heir at this point. He's two years into his career. He's 21 and five, uh, including the playoffs starting in the NFL. He's leading the, to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's won already four playoff games, uh, leading three come from behind victories in the process. He could prove a lot if he wins the game, but even just losing the game, just getting there, bringing his team, I think he's shown that there's a hole in the scouting process. So 
Anyhow, hopefully, I don't know if you hear, love to hear your comments. Okay, pivot to NBA real quick. Not going to spend a lot of time on this. We'll get into NBA as we get we get past the Super Bowl. But one thing I wanted to call out, we're beyond the midpoint of the season and we're having a wonderful year, particularly if you prefer scoring. The NBA is averaging 115.6 points per game. So that's the average of what an NBA team is scoring per game, which is up a full point from a year ago, which was 114.7 and precisely five points per game more since the 2020-21 season. So this season's average is highest in 60 years and within striking distance of the all-time record, which was 118 in like the early 60s, I think, yeah, early 60s. And I take it further, we're seeing more 60-point performances than any other time in the history of the league. We've had seven of the 90 total in the history of the league happening this season, including the fourth all-time highest when Luka Doncic dropped 73 a few weeks back. Steph Curry just dropped 60 in a loss, which is one of the all-time best games for a player that is 35 years or older, tying Kobe Bryant, who did it in his last game ever back in, I think, 16, 15 or 16. So anyhow, I'd be curious to see how the league finishes the season. I could see officiating getting tighter as the season progresses. You get closer to the playoffs, which would reduce scoring or missing more scoring because people are getting tired. The Some of the teams that are tanking just let it go and start seeing more 140, 130 games. Um, what I do know is the players today are infinitely better offensively than they were 20 years ago. There are a few of any non-offensive players on the court. Most centers can even shoot threes. They're shooting 30 plus percent from three, making their true shooting percentage over 50%. And the floor spacing allows for a much more beautiful game, which I personally am loving. I did mention I was going to touch on the 65 game rule. So if you don't know, starting this season, the NFL, the NBA implemented a minimum 65 games played rule to qualify for postseason awards. So think MVP, think all NBA. And there's a big financial component to this, by the way. If you're not aware, these max extensions, they're gated based on whether you've made all NBA or not. So there's a, a certain percentage. So in some cases, like Tyrese Halliburton this year, if he makes an all NBA team, his extension goes from five years, 205 million to five years, 245 million or something like that. So it's like a $40 million swing and that's guaranteed dollars. And it's totally tied to him making all NBA. He's been off and on injured. So right now he's going to be borderline make that 65 game list. So there's a lot of complaining from players. And the other one is Joel Embiid just got hurt. He's going to miss a bunch of games. He's definitely got, not going to make the 65 game list. So players are complaining that's not fair, yada, yada, yada. My take on it is it's great. These players should be playing. They're paid massive amounts of money and there's plenty of rest. They can play these games. And if they can't play the games, they can't play the games, but they, they shouldn't, that should, that should be holding them back, in my opinion, versus the players that are playing. At the end of the day, availability is the most important thing. And as a fan, I want to see these guys play. Steph Curry's playing a ton of games. He hasn't always played a ton of games, but this year he's played a ton of games. I think last year he was in the mid fifties because he had an injury. I still made the All-NBA team. This year, he's on pace to, to play way more than 65. Knock on wood that he, he makes it through. But I, I personally am a big fan of it. I think it's the right move. It incentivizes players to play, and it rewards the players that do play the most. And quite frankly, 65 out of 82 is not that – it's it's a healthy number. It's 17 of, of 82 that you miss. So that's a large number. So anyhow, I'm excited to go deeper on this in the coming months as we get into the second half of the NBA season. On that note, I hope everyone has an amazing day, great week. Let's hope for a great Super Bowl. And personally, I'm hoping for a big San Francisco victory. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Before we leave, let me tell you a little something. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown, funk you up. Uptown.